Uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. And I considered reading all of chapter 1. 22 through 25, as you see up there, are the last four verses of the chapter. But my manuscript is a little bit longer than normal. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to read these first or these four verses that we're going to consider. But I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open because I will be referring back to uh, truths that Peter teaches us uh, in the verses prior to these four verses. But uh, as we get into God's Word this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time if you're able. And I will read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, you know that I understand the tremendous responsibility that I have to not share my own thoughts, but to, to proclaim the truth that you have revealed to us in your word. And I ask for your Holy Spirit to illumine my own mind and heart so that what is said this morning would be the truth that you intend for your people to hear, truth that transforms us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that is our desire, and we ask for you to do that. In your name, amen. Please be seated. One of the things that Peter emphasizes as he opens this letter is both the eternal and temporal aspects of life for the follower of Jesus Christ. In, in the very first verse, he calls the recipients of this letter exiles. An exile. What's an exile? An exile is someone who is forced to live in a foreign country. As believers, our temporal situation is that we are not living in our home country. I'm grateful that I live in the United States of America, but I understand it is not my home country. Paul tells us in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And that means that our home country is the kingdom of God. But as we await the return of Jesus Christ our own, or our own death, we are living as exiles. This is a temporary situation where we are not home. We are not living in our home country. But then in verses 4 and 5, Peter tells us this, that we have an, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the eternal reality of our lives. 
we have an eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God in our home country. But again, in verse 6, he says, for a little while, you've been grieved by various trials. Now we're back to the temporal aspect of our lives again. Jesus told his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We all know through the record of the New Testament and through our own experience that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, it does not keep us from suffering, from sorrow, from sadness, from pain. doesn't keep us from death. But it does give us hope through all of these things. In verse 13, Peter instructs us as a result of this. He says, therefore, in other words, considering these truths, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, what Peter is telling us is what will enable us to live effectively as exiles in this world is to always keep in mind and set our hope on the eternal reality that awaits us when Christ returns. That's tough to do sometimes, isn't it? But this is what Peter encourages us. And then beginning in verse 14, through the end of this letter, Peter gives explicit instruction on how we are to live as the children of God in this foreign place as exiles but exiles who carry with them a message of hope for those who are not yet part of the kingdom of God, the gospel. This morning, our focus is going to be on verses 22 through 25, where Peter continues his emphasis on both the temporal and eternal aspects of our life, but he does it uh, more as a matter of contrast. He makes that contrast between the eternal and the temporary. In verse 3, Peter says, We are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's pointing out what we are born again to, and he's looking to the future. But then in verse 23, he reminds us of how we have been born again. Looking back, he answers the question, What brought about this new birth within us? And then in verse 22, Peter underscores a significant result of this new birth. And he calls it sincere brotherly love. The song we opened with this morning was perfect for what we're going to be considering today. Uh, Let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable to you that I might love with a heart that is sincere. This is what Peter is talking about. And that is the main point that we're going to consider this morning. Peter's command to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You probably gathered that from the title of the message that was up there on the screen. So our flow of thought is going to be this. I'm not going to start in verse 22. I'm going to start in verse 23 because really that's where our love is born from. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 23 and look at verses 23 through 25. And we're going to consider first... Our reality. The reality is that we are born to eternal life. We're born to eternal life. Then we're going to go back to verse 22 and we're going to look at the result 
So first the reality, we're born to eternal life. The result is sincere brotherly love. And then finally, we will bring in some other texts from, for our last point, which is a little bit longer, the radiance of sincere brotherly love lived out in temporary exile. So our reality, our, the result of that reality, and then the radiance of that love lived out among unbelievers in temporary exile. So I want to begin with the reality that we are born to eternal life. Peter tells us here, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Many of you are old enough to remember the 70s and 80s. Uh, Back in the 70s, the term born again entered into mainstream America's consciousness through a couple of means. The first was the Jesus People Movement, who in their evangelistic endeavors emphasized mainly that people needed to be born again. The second was a close confidant of President Richard Nixon. Some of you are young enough that you only know Richard Nixon from history books. Many of us are old enough, we remember a lot about good old uh, Richard Nixon, don't we? Uh, (laughs) But uh, Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson went to prison for his part in the Watergate scandal that actually ended up bringing down the Nixon administration. But prior to going to trial, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result... Actually, as a result of him coming to faith in Christ, he voluntarily pled guilty to the crimes that he had committed, and he went to prison. After his release from prison, he founded the organization Prison Fellowship, which continues to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to people in prison today. And in 1976, his memoir was published, and it was in big, bold letters on the front of the book, Born Again, Born Again. And he lived out a faithful service to Christ and the church until he passed away in 2012. We don't use the term born again very much today, do we? Um, We have friends. You know that we have uh, a group of unbelieving friends that we spend time with. And I, I remember, I think it was at her mother's memorial service that she introduced Judy and me to another friend of hers as, as, these are my born again friends. That's what she said. But we don't use that word very much uh, now. We don't use that term very much now. And it may be because uh, the culture in the 70s and 80s co-opted that term to mean any kind of transforming experience that one person might have. In fact, John Lennon called himself a born-again pagan. But when Jesus and Peter used the phrase, and when Paul uses the term regeneration, which means the same thing, they're emphasizing a critically important truth concerning life. Jesus said, you remember, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he went on to say that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's that contrast again, like Peter. So this being born again, this second birth or new birth, is being born of the Spirit. And in these three verses, Peter makes this same contrast between being born of the flesh, he calls it perishable seed, 
in verse 23, and then being born of the Spirit and from what Peter calls imperishable seed. You know, how exciting it is for us when a new baby is born, isn't, isn't it? Judy's best childhood friend, Bunny, has a daughter named Katie. And Katie and her husband, Phil, have been trying for years and years. It's, it's at least 10, maybe more um, years for, to have a baby. And, and it just was not, it was just not happening. I think she had a couple of miscarriages. And, and, but recently, just recently, she had a beautiful little baby girl. How excited they are to have that beautiful baby girl. My brother, my oldest brother, was just gifted his first grandchild, another little girl. And uh, it's so exciting when babies are born. When babies are born, and, and actually I should mention my, my, our son Isaac, uh, in his, with his second marriage, uh, his wife's daughter just gave birth this week to a granddaughter. So through marriage, Judy and I have just gotten our first great-granddaughter, <laughs> Willow. What a beautiful name. I like that, Willow. But when babies are born, they bring joy to the parents and the family. Along with the babies always are born dreams and hopes and aspirations, aren't they? But in our quiet moments, we know that life in this broken world is not what it should be. In verse 24, when Peter quotes the prophet Isaiah, he is reminding us that being born of perishable seed, perishable seed, confronts us with a stark reality. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. Because God is good, we do enjoy good gifts in this world. But being born of the flesh, of, imp- of perishable seed, means that overshadowing everything is the reality that this life ends in death. Life is temporary. These newborn babies grow into adulthood, and then they eventually die. They and we will experience unfulfilled dreams, unrealized hopes, and and unfinished tasks. The grass withers, the flower falls. But... When we are born of imperishable seed, born of the Spirit, we enter into life that not only will never end, but will be a life where God promises to wipe away every tear from our eyes, where death will be no more, where there will be no sorrow, no crying, no pain. That's what John says in Revelation 21, verse 4. A permanent life lived under the blessing of God forever. Life the way God intended it to be, enjoying unending fellowship with him and perfect unending fellowship with one another as well. And Peter says that this imperishable seed through which we are born again is, quote, the living and abiding word of God. Verse 23, and then in verse 25, he says that by abiding, what he means is that the word of the Lord remains forever. We are born to eternal life through the imperishable seed of the eternal word of God, which Peter then concludes is the good news that was preached to you, the gospel 
the gospel. I love how Pastor Thomas is always emphasizing the gospel, the good news. It is the eternal, imperishable word of God. And through it, we have been giving, given eternal, imperishable life. So what's, what's the point here? Well, I'm going to illustrate with an imperfect illustration. I'm not really good at illustrations. Um, I've, I've heard other pastors who just have great illustrations, but I'm going to illustrate with a, a simple, imperfect illustration here. How many of you have crowns on the teeth of your mouths? I have many. <laughs> I have at least three. First, you get a temporary crown, don't you? And it works okay for the time that you have it, but it's the, you have the temporary crown until they make the permanent crown. Then when the permanent crown comes in, you go in, they glue it on, and it's supposed to stay on for good. It's not supposed to come off. I've been having a problem with one of my crowns. It's come off, I think, four or five times now. But, but it, it's a permanent crown. Once the permanent one is glued on, the temporary one is thrown in the trash. The real crown is the permanent crown, right? Not the temporary crown. The real crown is the permanent crown. Well, what life is our real life? The one from perishable seed or the one from imperishable seed? The temporary one or the permanent one? Because our permanent life, our eternal life, is not yet fully in our grasp, we can sometimes lose sight and lose heart because of the trials of this temporary life. But Peter reminds us that we need to understand the temporary nature of our lives here. We are exiles who suffer trials, but we need to live according to our permanent life, our real life. We are born again of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you have professed faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, you have been born again to a new life that is eternal, and you have been born into God's family as one of his beloved children. Your real life began when you were born again. And in contrast to your physical birth, by which you were born to die, we were born of perishable seed. Our physical birth, we are born literally to die. I remember a song back in the 70s from one of my favorite bands, the Bee Gees, before they were disco. Before they were disco. I was not a fan of the Bee Gees when they were disco. <laughs> what do you get for trying? The minute you're born, you're dying. We're born to die. But through this spiritual second birth, we're born to live. We are born to live eternally. That living begins now, and one of the marks of that life, one of the results of being born again, according to Peter, is a sincere brotherly love. A sincere brotherly love. You have redeemed and made me new that I might love. That's what Peter says here. And now we're to our second point, the result. Sincere brotherly love. 
This is how he puts it. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he told his disciples this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And here in Peter's letter, based on that command, Peter heard those words from the mouth of Jesus. And based on that command that he received directly from Jesus, he commands us to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I said that one of the results of being born again is a sincere brotherly love. But Peter actually begins this section by referring to several results of the new birth. Purified souls by obedience to the truth refers to our desire and ability as a result of being born again to obey the real true, revealed truth of God regarding moral purity. God is a morally pure, holy God. We sang about that this morning. And it is the living out of Peter's earlier command in verse 15 to be holy in conduct as God is holy, to honor God with our attitudes and actions. But that desire grows in the one who has been born of the imperishable seed of God's word. That is one thing that happens to us when we are born anew, born again. And the foundational attitude and action that is planted within us as we are born again is this love for one another. And here Peter is addressing our attitude of love for one another. He's not speaking about actions in particular, but our attitude. First he says... We have been born again for a sincere brotherly love. Edmund Clowney, in his commentary, says this, Clearly, Peter requires love for fellow Christians as the great mark of true holiness. He is not satisfied with tolerance or acceptance, far less from formalized distance. He will have love, sincere love without pretense, or hypocrisy. You know, I find it myself as I, as I consider these truths, it just is amazing to me that a person says, I believe in Jesus Christ and I belong to Jesus Christ uh, and I am a Christian and they are not part of a local church. They never join together with other local believers. We are to love one another sincerely out of a pure heart. How can we love one another if we're never with one another? That wasn't in my notes. So now I have to find back where I am. <laughs> but not only is our love for one another to be genuine and unhypocritical, as Clowney, uh, Edmund Clowney said, Peter commands us to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This word earnestly comes from the same Greek work, Greek root word that is used in Luke twenty two forty four, where it speaks of the intensity of Jesus' prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. 
It is a word that means stretched or strained and carries the idea of a strong, deeply felt, even fervent love for one another. Now, I understand that this is not something that we can conjure up in ourselves. According to Paul, love is a fruit of the Spirit. It grows in us because we have been born of the Spirit, born again. And it grows in us as we, quote, to quote Peter again, set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we embrace fully the truth that we, who have been born again, are bound together in God's eternal family. This is the family that we will enjoy for eternity. Do you realize that? I am your brother. You are my brothers and sisters. And we will be together for eternity, forever, in a, a strong bond of love. Remember that Peter wrote this letter to churches who were made up of both Jews and Gentiles, two ethnic groups who prior to being born again hated each other. They hated each other. Now they are united in Christ and are being commanded to love one another fervently. This can only be a supernatural love born in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans 5, and I think we read it for the, uh, the call to worship, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It is God's love in us that makes us able to love in this way. We cannot do it ourselves. Remember also that Jesus told his disciples that the world, as I read earlier, would know that they belong to him if they love one another. That brings us to our final point for today, where we're going to move out of, the, out of this text uh, and look at some other texts. Our final point for today, the radiance of sincere brotherly love lived out in temporary exile. Here in Peter's letter, he addresses our attitude of love, as I said earlier. And attitude is something that can be sensed by others. But the real demonstration of genuine love is in our actions toward one another. If you've heard me preach about love in the past, you probably remember the definition of love that I use, but then again, you probably don't. (laughs) (laughs) Love is doing the best for the one loved, regardless of personal cost. That's what genuine love is. Let me say it again. Love is doing what's best for the one loved, regardless of personal cost. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5.16. Paul said that we shine as lights in the world. Philippians 2.15. The light of our love, the radiance, that's where I came up with the word radiance, so I could have all the R's, reality, result, radiance. The light of our love for one another is to be one of the realities that draws unbelievers to Jesus Christ. Pastor Thomas has been emphasizing evangelism this year for us as a church. 
Well, the light of our love for one another is one of those realities necessary that will draw people to Christ. It enhances the message of the gospel. And and so this love is lived out in the actions that we regularly take in our relationship with one another. And I want to just look at two headings under which to consider this reality, this living it out. Uh, The first is self-sacrifice. It begins with self-sacrifice. Jesus himself said this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice. He literally gave his life for us. Now, it's not common that we will be called upon to give that ultimate sacrifice. But laying down our lives for one another can be done through lesser sacrifices than actually dying. It can be done by taking some time to take someone where they need to go or to visit them and encourage them. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Again, we can take time to help a brother or a sister in Christ with some task that they need done, or we can be there also, and this is important, to help them resist some temptation that they may be struggling with, to help walk with them to say yes to Christ and no to what is drawing them away from Christ. We live in a culture that is absolutely obsessed with self, absolutely obsessed with self. And it is an extremely unhappy culture. Did you realize that? You will never be happy obsessed with yourself. According to this world, I am the most important person in my life. The only one I sacrifice for is me. My happiness matters most. My aspirations are the most important things for me to pursue. The fulfillment of my ambitions should be not hindered by anyone else. What are we we told about Jesus Christ? He emptied himself. He emptied himself. He gave up everything that he enjoyed as the Son of God in order to come down and be one of us so that we could enjoy eternal life through being born again as a result of his sacrifice on the cross. He is our example. We are called to do the same. That is real love, emptying ourselves for others. Closely related to self-sacrifice, love is demonstrated through service. It is demonstrated through service. Again, Jesus. Boy, isn't it amazing to hear the words of Jesus? (laughs) The eternal word of God spoken by the eternal God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Boy, don't we see that. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are to serve one another, joyfully serve one another. We are born again to love one another by serving one another. And serving in this context means putting the needs of others first, no matter how menial the task, and always remembering that when we serve one another, This is so critical, so important, and it is so true. When we serve one another, we are serving Christ. Listen to Jesus again. This is a little bit longer, but we're going to do okay. It's not too late here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Man, we sing about that. We look forward to that. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king, the son of man, the king, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Do you believe that? That's true. That's Jesus. Loving one another earnestly from a pure heart is done through simple daily acts of kindness, goodness, and sharing of our time and our material blessings. It is also done in the help that we extend to one another for living in a manner that is worthy of this new birth, helping each other keep our focus on our real life, our eternal life. Now, I'll be honest with you. I think I am honest with you most of the time, all the time, I hope. As I prepared to share this with you this morning, I was deeply convicted of my own lack. Deeply convicted of my own lack in this. And my intent is not to lay a burden on you that is too hard to bear. I'm not up here to try to tell you, try harder to love one another. That's not it at all. I'm simply wanting to remind you and encourage you that you are not only born again of imperishable seed through the eternal word of God. We are shaped and transformed through that same word. That is why we are given commands like this from Peter to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So let me just give you a little suggestion, okay? I want to suggest that you look around today at all who are gathered together and ask yourself the question, 
How can I love this person? How can I love that person with a sincere brotherly love earnestly from a pure heart? Start there. Just ask that question. But also understand that we can't figure out how to love without being schooled in love by the one who is love. Let me say that again. We can't understand how to figure out how to love one another without being schooled in love by the one who is love and the one who dwells within us. First Thessalonians 4, 9, and 10, Paul wrote this. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Isn't that incredible? You yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But, but he says, we urge you brothers to do this more and more. Do it more and more. So I want to encourage you to ask God to give you a sincere love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to encourage you to ask God to help you, for ask him to help you uh, show that love to your brothers and sisters in tangible ways. How can we really love one another? It may begin with taking the church directory and praying for each other. I think that's a good place to start. We have this church directory. Go through that directory and pray for each other. And then as you pray and you think, well, I don't really know what to pray for, for this person. Well, maybe it would be a good thing to contact that person and, and say, hey, how can I be praying for you? What are you struggling with right now? Are there any particular needs that you have? Uh, get to know one another on a more intimate, personal basis than just attending church together on Sunday mornings. Then you might invite them to dinner or to, to go out for coffee or to, to spend time with each other. Judy and I were talking one evening just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I hadn't told her what I was going to be preaching on yet, but as I've told you in the past, Judy and I talk a lot, and uh, often it comes down to talking about eternal things. I mean, that's just, that's where our hearts and our minds are. And we were talking, and I don't even remember exactly what we were talking about, but in the course of the conversation, she said this. And I thought, I'm going to write that down. That's going in my sermon. She said, as believers, our calling is to love well. That's our calling. As followers of Jesus Christ, as those who have been born again, as those who really are alive, we are really alive. Our calling is to love well. We've been born again to live eternally with each other, And we have been born again to love each other eternally. That life and that love begins right now. I'm going to close with Paul's final statement about love from 1 Corinthians 13. And then we'll have the worship team come up. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. But... The greatest, the greatest of these is love. Amen.